Welcome to The Alcohol File, a podcast series that explores how we can better understand the impact of alcohol in our lives. This podcast is provided by Alcohol Action Ireland, Ireland's leading independent advocate for reducing alcohol harms. I'm your host, Eunan McKinney, and today, along with my guests, Professor Frank Murray, Dr. Bobby Smith, and Dr. John Ryan, we will explore a number of specific issues relating to alcohol use and the impact it has on your physical and mental health. How these outcomes overburden our health systems and what we as individuals can do to reduce the harm to ourselves and others. But first, I just want to take a brief moment to have an overview of the current situation in Ireland. So how much does Ireland drink? Well, in Ireland at the moment, we drink about 11 litres of pure alcohol per capita. And what does that look like? Well, it's equivalent to every single person over 15 years old drinking 41 bottles of vodka a year, or if you prefer, 116 bottles of wine. This rate of consumption is determined by the total revenue alcohol excise receipts annually and assessed against the number of individuals who are over 15 in the country. Sadly, 15-year-olds count because half of them drink. And by the time they close their teenage years, 93 of 100 will be regular drinkers. Of course, not everyone drinks, so we have to take into account for those who do not, which in today's terms is about 20% of the population. So when that's factored in, our 11 litres per capita now looks like 46 bottles of gin, or if you prefer, 500 pints of beer. Globally, Ireland stands beyond the average consumption rate of 6.4 litres, or 70% above global averages. So what do people drink? Well, in short, they drink alcohol, and indeed it is alcohol that is the source of our difficulties, whether it's in beer or spirits or wine or cider, They all contain alcohol. And where do we drink? Most drinkers use alcohol at home or in somebody else's house. But depending on the cohort or the age cohort, some prefer to drink in licensed premises like pubs or clubs. So, for example, young people, younger people tend to drink alcohol on licensed premises, while older people tend to stay and drink alcohol at home. Alcohol consumed in licensed premises is referred to on trade, while purchases from home or for home is largely sourced in the off trade. And as we age, we tend to reduce our use of alcohol, while younger people, those ranged between 18 and 35, tend to lead the way on binge drinking. Those concerned with the impact of alcohol on our health tend to highlight Ireland's rate of binge drinking as binge drinking, or single risky occasional drinking, is particularly frequent in Ireland and increases the risks of harm. If your pattern of drinking is taking more than six standard drinks in a single occasion, then you are binge drinking and exposing yourself to harm. A standard drink is 10 grams of alcohol, and this is best understood as measures. So typically a glass of beer, a small glass of wine, 
or a measure of spirits. And according to the Audit C test developed by the WHO, just over half of Ireland's drinking population drinks so harmfully and approximately 7% of them do so with a score that would indicate some level of dependency. So I give you that as a way of introduction to what is the significance of alcohol in Irish society. So to discuss much of these difficulties and much of the issues around our health, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Frank Murray. Frank is the former president of the RCPI and chairs the Alcohol Health Alliance in Ireland. Dr. Bobby Smith is a consultant child and adolescent psychiatrist. And Dr. John Ryan is a consultant hepatologist at Dublin's Beaumont Hospital. And over the next 30 minutes or so, we'll explore a number of specific issues relating to how damaging alcohol can be to our physical and mental health. Uh, so to speak, a brief A to Z of the main issues we face. So perhaps we can start with you, Frank, and perhaps we can just talk a little bit um, about the principal issues associated with alcohol and what are the toxic effects of alcohol and, and how and why intoxication happens with, with alcohol? What are, what are the main consequences uh, to people's health from alcohol? Thank you very much indeed. I think it's worth putting it in context. Um, both John and I work as liver doctors and what really brought my interest in the broader issues of the harms associated with alcohol was the dramatic rise in liver failure that we saw in Ireland over the last couple of decades. And in particular, the increase that we noted in, 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 in Irish women who previously had been relatively rarely affected by um, advanced liver disease and death as a, as a result of alcohol. Ireland is one of the heaviest drinking countries in one of the, heavy, in one of the heaviest drinking regions in the world, in other words, Europe. And Irish women are ranked number seven in the world for, for drinking amongst women. So the problems we see in Ireland associated with alcohol are, are, are huge. And just to give you another figure that I, I like to think about is we drink just over 11 litres per person of, of, of pure alcohol per year, as you outlined there in your introduction, Ewan. And the EU average is 9.1 litres, and that's what the government target is for 2020. So we really are way above uh, EU average in terms of alcohol consumption. If you look at the alcohol harms and particularly look at alcohol deaths, you find that between about a fifth and a third of the deaths are due to the event of drinking. So people going out and getting intoxicated or indeed um, completely drunk and helpless um, and getting involved either in being poisoned by alcohol, by, by becoming uh, comatose, uh, developing respiratory failure, or aspirating and, and, and dying as a result directly of the alcohol itself, or more commonly being involved in an incident or accident, you know, in violence, in a fight, in a road accident, or being indeed the victim of somebody who's consumed alcohol. Um, so that burden of alcohol, um, of, of alcohol, acute alcohol consumption or um, risky single episode drinking, as you described there in your introduction, Ewan, and that is um, a very real impact for a larger number of people than we like to think. And those deaths related to the acute ingestion of alcohol, the event of drinking, are commoner in, in young men. 
than they are in young women or women in general. In terms of the longer term effects of alcohol, the harmful effects that John and I in particular would, would have seen during our careers are the effects of damage to the liver because we see a variety of very serious damages to the liver associated with alcohol. The problem with developing the dire consequences of uh, alcohol's impact on the liver is that very often there are no warning signs for the patient. So that often when they present, their damage is irreversible, especially if they present as a hospital inpatient, they usually have advanced cirrhosis and the damage is irreversible. But the harms associated with alcohol are much more gradual within the liver. They, initially, people tend to get some fat in their liver, which is a, a phase that we generally think is reversible. And then after that, they often develop quite severe um, inflammation within the liver. And the problem with the inflammation within the liver is that may lead to an irreversible process of fibrosis or scarring within the liver, which in turn can lead to a disease called cirrhosis. Now, many people don't know what cirrhosis is like because although we've got a lot of experience of cancer in our lives, we, many people don't know what cirrhosis is, but cirrhosis is where the volume, the amount of liver is reduced and the structure of liver, the, the liver itself, which is crucial to allow your liver work properly, is grossly distorted, resulting in catastrophic consequences of liver failure and eventually death. Maybe we can bring in John at this point. John, in, a, in an article that you wrote recently in the Medical Independent with your colleague, uh, Dr. Alan Marion, you spoke at length about this as well and the, and the increased level of uh, liver disease that you're seeing in your in your day-to-day -day work. Can you maybe just share some of that insight with us? Sure, Eden, thanks. Um, yes, that was a short article. It was like a two-page article in one of the medical journals or medical newspapers in Ireland. And what we did was we just covered... Um, the you know updates on alcohol in Ireland and the management of alcohol related liver disease but there was a few things that we highlighted in the article one was um as like frank has already said the mortality from liver disease uh, from alcohol related liver disease um you know it used to be called alcoholic liver disease but that in itself attaches a huge stigma the word alcoholic has been, we tried to get it out of medical terminologies and calling someone an alcoholic rather than being alcohol dependent and so on. But the mortality from cirrhosis, as you mentioned, in Ireland, it had been shown to have increased uh, 400 fold over the past 30 to 40 years in the UK. It was a big uh, publication in the main, uh, one of the main journals in the world. And so we had the opportunity to look at the data from the WHO for Ireland. And it's the exact same figure that over the past 40 years, the mortality, so death from advanced liver disease, from alcohol related liver disease predominantly, because that's the main killer in, in liver disease, has increased 400 uh, by 400 percent over that time. And it's really striking that Ireland, and not surprisingly, mirrors the UK entirely in that graph that we produce, but also um, in contrast to that, the mortality from cardiovascular disease and cancer has fallen across the board with all the advances that we know about uh, new treatments for cancer, breast cancer, prognosis has never been better, new treatments for cardiovascular disease and stroke that are highly effective, 
but where have the treatments been for liver disease? They don't exist, or there's very, very few and far between. And as Frank says, often, unfortunately, when patients present to us, they're, they're kind of gone beyond the stage of repair. Um, so that was something that we highlighted in that article in particular, you know, that was really striking um, to see. And just in the, in the context of, like, people probably don't really understand how quickly perhaps they can fall into some difficulty in relation to the consumption of alcohol. So in your experience, I mean, and understanding the, 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 the science of it, I mean, how much alcohol do we have to be consuming and how frequently before we can begin to see some of these particular impacts on what are chronic diseases? So in, for most of the chronic diseases, for instance, cirrhosis, or liver disease, for instance, cancers, um, and for instance, impact on uh, the immune system with hepatitis B or C or HIV. Generally, there's a dose, uh, the likelihood of harm is related to the amount consumed over time. So it's a kind of, it's a cumulative burden of disease. And indeed that also includes, that's also the situation for cancers. I know we're going to come to cancers in a few minutes. So that we know that the more people drink alcohol, the more likely they are to get those advanced liver disease and the more likely they are to get complications of infections. And we see that particularly, for instance, with cancers. So most, we'll, we'll move on to cancer yeah, unit, please do, while yeah. we're talking about this. But if you look at, say, the cancers that we see associated with um, alcohol, um, many of those, of those cancers we see have a number of factors contributing to their cause. Um, but 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 the ones that were we see most commonly associated with alcohol tend to be ones around the um the ma- mouth and throat uh, the larynx um the esophagus or swallowing tube and the reason for those is kind of obvious because they tend to get exposed pretty much directly to alcohol because there's a lot of alcohol going through your mouth and pharynx and uh, through your esophagus and then the other intestinal cancers we see are colorectal cancer the colorectal cancer in Ireland is the commonest cancer, commonest fatal cancer in, in men. And um, in general, the impact, you, you need to be drinking a fair bit of, of alcohol to have an impact of alcohol on increasing your risk of colorectal cancer. But if you look at the most common cancer in women in Ireland, the most common fatal cancer, which is breast cancer, very small amounts of alcohol, like one standard drink a day, increase the risk of breast cancer. And if you look at breast cancer, which is a very common cancer, as I said, it's been estimated that about 12% or one in eight breast cancers is due to um, alcohol in Ireland. And that's a huge burden of disease for Irish women. It's a huge impact, a negative impact on those patients and their families and their loved ones. And it's got a huge impact for the, um, for, for the health service in terms of the, demand, the demands we have for that. Yeah, I mean, as Frank said, like there's no safe limit. You know, we say this low risk but there's actually no real low risk drinking. It's just all relative to, uh, you know, most people obviously who are drinking are not concerned about developing breast cancer down the line, but it's something that is often talked about. Well, alcohol is good for you at some level, but, and there's a a J-shaped curve or whatever, you know, that a little bit of alcohol is actually okay. But unfortunately, the reality is from huge studies uh, of many uh, millions of people, they've shown that there isn't really a safe limit. Um, and then when you talk about liver disease, you know, most of, as you said, about what is the amount that you could drink safely or not develop cirrhosis and 
I mean, but we see people every day of the week who've fallen into, they wouldn't be, and we said alcoholic, they wouldn't fall into that bracket of someone getting up in the morning drinking. They're functioning professionals um, who have children, families, whatever else. And they might come home and have a bottle of wine or maybe two bottles of wine per night. And they just fall into that, you know, unfortunate habit of just drinking far too much and it stacks up and before they know it they're they're coming in with jaundice their eyes are yellow or they have fluid in their abdomen or they've developed a liver tumor and it's over years of drinking obviously but and drinking too much but it's a very easy habit to fall into um and in england we would have said that just to put figures on it if for women drinking 35 standard drinks a week or men drinking 50 they are in the very much the harmful end of the spectrum so that's something like four to five bottles of wine uh, a week for a man if you think a bottle of wine would have say 11 10 or 11 units standard drinks in it that um once you're drinking that much you are at risk of having advanced liver disease advanced scarring or cirrhosis so that you would by the english UK guidelines, you would then see them directly just based on their alcohol consumption, regardless of their blood tests or anything else, because they're at risk, you know, so mm-hmm. there's no particular cutoff to stay under, but sure. Yeah. And obviously it's worth making the point that obviously the Irish low risk guidelines are different to the yeah. UK the yeah. guidelines, which is unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Bobby, if we could maybe bring you into this discussion at this point, because obviously we've spoken a little bit there about um, people falling into habits and and obviously the there is the the dimension obviously that alcohol is a is a, is a big mood shifter and has been used maybe for for many generations by people who have difficulty perhaps masking mask or to mask their own feelings or be to avoid feelings so maybe we could talk just a little bit about some of the what you see as the main issues around alcohol in your line of work as a as a as a psychiatrist um i suppose alcohol can cause different negative impacts for people across the full age span. Um, I suppose most of my work nowadays is, is with teenagers. And one of the big concerns there relates to the, the fact that alcohol, when consumed uh, during adolescence, sort of 14, 15, 16, drifting into a pattern of regular use, we now know pretty certainly that that can have negative impacts on, on brain development. So the human brain is sort of developing and changing and that process doesn't end until the mid-20s. And alcohol can sort of derail that in, in certain ways that can leave um, measurable changes uh, that are detectable on brain scans and also affect cognitive functioning. That's the ability to think and solve problems and remember and so on. Uh, so that's one worry in, amongst adolescents. Um, the other is, I suppose, that people during adolescence are trying to pick up the skills to deal with the, the bad days. Um, we can all get a bit down the dumps at times. Life can be difficult. Um, and during our teenage years, hopefully most of us pick up the skills to deal with, with those difficult times. But But I suppose a subset of people turn to alcohol as a way of um, dealing with the bad days. And uh, unfortunately, um, its its average effect, I suppose, is, is that it, it tends to make a bad mood worse or can often make a bad mood worse. Um, so it can trap people in a bit of a cycle of low mood, drinking, more low mood, more drinking, and uh, can move towards a, a dependence. 
and we know that where people become dependent at a very young age it's much harder to treat than when they hit adulthood um, in teenagers young adults indeed older adults i suppose that that uh, the real headline mental health concern relates to suicidal behavior and indeed completed suicide and uh, particularly for for men young men alcohol is very often part of the the backstory where there's been a completed suicide probably uh, based on on the survey data we have um, a third to a half of young men who complete suicide are, are drunk at the time. Um, and that's often against a backstory of sort of low mood, life becoming messy, um, then a, a bad night just goes completely pear-shaped uh, and an impulsive decision which results in a fatal outcome for, for, um, for those uh, young men uh, with sort of real concerning frequency. And then at the at the older age range, I suppose that the worry is more a little bit like like I said, we know alcohol is not good for the adolescent brain. It doesn't seem to be great for the adult brain either, particularly if it's consumed um, over a prolonged period of time. And and alcohol is a big contributor to dementia um, in 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 older age. So really across the full age span, you're seeing a range of different problems. What are, what are the impacts that you see? Like we know, for example, uh, that according to the Health Research Board and the data that's around that, 11% of our public expenditure, 11% of the, of the public expenditure on health is, is spent on dealing with alcohol-related illnesses. Um, so like what's your observation in relation to the cost and the implications on the health system as you experience it? Well, I might start that conversation and, and then and ask John to come in. But I, I, that figure of uh, 1.5 billion, which is rough, the estimated cause, cost of um, dealing with the end effects of alcohol every year, the harms associated with alcohol, is um, represents about one in 10, just over one in 10 euros spent on health. Now, that's a huge opportunity cost, isn't it? I mean, if you think about that, that's, that's, that's a cost that... Um, that we that's money and resources and personnel that we can't deploy elsewhere that's um only about a third of the total cost or or, or just less than half of the total cost because when we add also the cost of social care and crime and the justice system it's estimated that it's somewhere between three and a half and four billion uh, euros per year is the cost we spend dealing with the um end effects of alcohol now that's a shocking cost to our society now and we, we we can see now how, how under pressure society is going to be with COVID and all that around it's something that we could ill afford i think sure when we look into the future john have you do you want to come in there as well you know absolutely as frank said like one i was interested in what was the cost to the hospital in beaumont so that you know we do know the huge cost that alcohol has and alcohol harm has on our economy and our uh, at many levels in our health so then what was it like you know locally in the, in the hospital and I looked well we looked at um, <clears throat> presentations to the emergency department uh, places that were under pressure at hospital admissions and to critical care unit or intensive care unit and you know it that was a project over the past year or so to try and get that data because I say it's always an estimate. Everything's an estimate. We don't really know what how much alcohol actually can cost, but 
and all you can say is report on what the figures you have from the sense of we know that there was almost 800 um, admissions in the year uh, you know in 2019 2018 to 2019 over over a period of 12 months there was almost 800 admissions for alcohol related illnesses you know and that that would have cost eight or nine million in bed days alone so it's an estimate it doesn't incorporate the medications that patients got the procedures they had and everything else that would come so it's very much a baseline cost but the other area that was of particular interest was critical care because critical care then suddenly became a huge commodity during COVID because a bed in at intensive care was potentially for someone uh, with COVID and now you're talking about if alcohol is a, a major factor in admissions for very, very sick patients, are they taking up uh, beds in critical care? And that's exactly what we, we knew, you know, Beaumont, this isn't just Beaumont specific, it's a big ter tertiary hospital in Dublin. So you can, you know, with over 800 beds, but it would be the same as many other city hospitals and the big hospitals around the country. But when we looked at our critical care, that there was about almost one in five patients sitting in critical care at any time were, uh, were there because of alcohol, which is an absolutely enormous consideration when you have many other illnesses that get a lot of attention, but whereas alcohol doesn't uh, as much as having a focus um, and the reason I say that is because when you're talking about cost and investment, um, again, the studies that you we quote are not from Ireland per se, but when you have a system where there's an investment in alcohol care, and the invest the return on the investment is huge because if you can invest one euro, you get four euros back because you end up saving a lot of money by and. Um, finding patients who have alcohol problems and keeping them out of hospital or getting the treatment they need or picking it up at an early stage before it's manifest as something irreversible or needing intensive care. So that that that's part of the drive to find that data was to, to look for support. Because as even though you're talking about a condition or an issue that is causing a, a, a like resulting in a cost of many millions per year in a hospital in any hospital in ireland there's virtually no dedicated alcohol um service i know i'm going a little bit off but you know we are lucky in beaumont that we do have an alcohol um specialist nurse we do have uh people who are interested in improving alcohol care and developing it but actually across the country in whatever 32 30 acute hospitals in the country um, up until very recently, there was only one specialist alcohol nurse, which is incredible considering the um, a huge burden that alcohol has on, on chronic health and, you know, admissions to hospital. Sure, sure. Can I follow up on that a little bit? I think that point John makes is a really good point. And it, I think it's a very strong argument for having an alcohol program in Ireland. We've had a cancer program and a heart failure program and many other programs. And yet the investment in, in um, uh, alcohol-related diseases has been uh, been very poor. And in fact, there's a lot of victim blaming in this. You know, John was talking earlier on about how we don't use the term alcoholic anymore. That's a term that's become, uh, we no longer use. We talk about patients being, having alcohol-related diseases, alcohol-related liver disease, for instance. Um, so I think it's really important that we consider having a more programmatic approach, 
towards dealing with the consequences of alcohol. And I think we should consider advocating for an alcohol program. It would support the work that John is doing and outlining there. And indeed, I think, as we've discussed before, I think there's a very strong argument for having an alcohol office, a sort of a statutory office to um, be responsible for uh, the harms associated with alcohol, rather like the um, Road Safety Authority, which has been very effective at dealing with the consequences of alcohol. How, how do you think we should help people try to take control of some of the immediate harms of alcohol and their consumption of alcohol? What do you, what do you think is the immediate action that people perhaps could be doing on a day-to-day basis that would help them certainly get a grip and get, get control of perhaps some of the drinking that they are doing? I mean, I think that in Ireland, we all have a, a relationship with alcohol. You know, everyone uh, drinks, uh, the majority of people drink in Ireland and are aware of drinkers and people who drink too much and people who would have been classed as alcoholics. So everyone, you know, thinks that maybe they're not in that extreme. But then the heartbreak is seeing the person who has fallen into a trap uh, of just drinking far too much as part of their weekly routine and their partner might be doing the same or, you know, for all the reasons we touched on, you know, and that's the thing where an individual and in Ireland where we have very limited support, they have to, it's really, it's all the contemplative or the phases of of deciding uh, and reflecting on whether or not you do need to cut down yourself and how you might cut down. But, you know, for us, if someone has cirrhosis or liver advanced liver disease, there is really no alternative to abstinence. They can't, there's no easy way. There's no way you could say to someone, have a drink every now and again, you'll be granted. You won't. So there's, that's at the extreme end. But someone who hasn't established uh, liver disease or established you know, disease from too much alcohol, you're more talking about how can you drink less harmfully or you know, just in a better manner where you don't feel hung over the next day where you don't it doesn't really impact on your well-being as much and that's about having days where you don't drink anything have alcohol free days and when you do drink i see a lot of people who drink you know very high percentage cider uh, and they don't really realize that they're really drinking this poison and you're saying why don't you drink you know three percent beer or if you have you know non-alcoholic options have got a lot more palatable so if you're somebody who wants to drink a cold drink when they come home from work have uh, six non-alcoholic beers in the fridge you're probably not going to drink them all you've probably quenched the thirst and you've just you're unwind i mean i have a patient who's a who has drunk a lot in her life and she said the best thing that ever happened to her was was non-alcoholic prosecco she said it's gorgeous and it doesn't taste any different to normal prosecco and you know those kind of positives just to try and engage the patient and motivate them to make some kind of I think Bobby sure Bobby have you did you want to come in there yeah I suppose um given uh, John's earlier point about, about cancer and so on and the relationship with alcohol the truth is there is no safe level of consumption so no matter how much you're drinking whether it's three pints a week or 30 pints a week you know any reduction is probably associated with some degree of benefit um, the HSE has a website, the Ask About Alcohol website, um, and on it there's a there's a, a a sort of a screening test that anyone can do, um, and, and that's perhaps worth doing no matter what your level of drinking, um, and you'll get some direct feedback that's tailored to your level of drinking in terms of of, of advice or, or things you could consider. 
Okay, yeah. That, 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 that's helpful. And I think what we can do is we can point people to that. Unfortunately, we've run out of time now. So if I can just thank John, Dr. John Ryan, and thank Professor Frank Murray and Dr. Bobby Smith. Uh, thank you for your time today and your contribution to this podcast. If, as Bobby Smith was indicating, if you'd like to learn more about the topics we've discussed today, you'll find more information on our website at alcoholireland.ie or if you have any concerns about yours or someone else's drinking, you can seek advice and support from askaboutalcohol.ie or call the HSE helpline on 1800 459 459. The next time on The Alcohol File, we'll be discussing issues around alcohol use and young adults, particularly when we'll be joined by another panel of interesting guests to discuss those issues and with a special focus on the impact of targeted alcohol marketing and promotion on young people. So from me, Eunan McKinney, you've been listening to The Alcohol File. Thank you for your time and until the next time, stay safe.